I'm B. And I'm B. And, and this, this is Homestead Happenings. Happenings. Where every week we bring you along on our journey to self-sufficiency. And bring you exclusive interviews on all things Homestead from people around the world. So hit subscribe and follow along with us. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's go. Today we are going to be talking about bees. And I'm very excited because... Everybody knows bees are on my list, super high on my list, so I'm very excited. We actually have two speakers on bees, and they are going to be airing on two different days, and they do do things differently. So this will show two separate ways on how you can do that and what is more comfortable for you, and they're both in vastly different locations, so you'll be able to see something that's more suited to your location. I did this intentionally, and I hope that it helps. Today we have the Passion Farm of Florida, and Florida, we have a lot of people talking from Florida on different topics, and one of the things that I keep hearing is, I want to homestead in Florida, I want to go to Florida, The Flor Florida's weather is nice, and this and this and this, but I have been hearing from a lot of people who live in Florida that has its own challenges, especially the farther down you go, and then some people that are in the north part of Florida, they're still, this year especially, have been experiencing super low temps. So, maybe Florida isn't all that it is cracked up to be for some, but, so let's see how it handles bees. So, why don't you tell us about you and your homestead and why bees? Hey, thanks. I'm so excited to be here. We are a, a small farm and homestead. We are primarily a small passion fruit farm and bee farm. Um, also known as an apiary for those of you who are not familiar with that term. Of course, we have other things like chickens and alpacas. Topic. <laughs> um, but we are we're just a nice little family. There's five of us. We have three daughters, my husband and I. I still have two at home. We do the whole homeschooling thing. And uh, we started our homestead about two years ago. And we have been enjoying the journey ever since. Wow, you are busy for a couple years. Yes. <laughs> I so side note off the bees two things one why alpacas and yeah. do you enjoy having them and do you just have them by themselves or are they in like a mixed barnyard uh good question so we get that a lot why alpacas people don't think of them as livestock right off when you're thinking about what livestock you want from the homestead that is not typically top of the list um, we did kind of fall into alpacas. My husband, it was a desire of his. But truly, um, two things. We use them for their manure. They have a superior manure for composting and for the plants. And so as we try to be a self-sustaining farm and not using commercial fertilizers, they're a great way to get great organic fertilizer to our plants. Um, but we also use their fiber. I have one of my daughters is... Uh, considers herself an art, uh, an artist, and mostly with the medium of yarn. Uh, so she wants fiber, and um, so she's doing some things with that. We also send it off to Textile Mill and have uh, product produced like scarves. That is super exciting. I, you know, alpacas were on our list, huh? but um, we might end up just doing sheep because of the so mm -hmm. the uh, space requirements. Mm -hmm. Um. Which, how much space do they need? You can put several of them on an acre. Um, we have more space than we need for them. So I don't remember the exact requirement. 
might have. They actually don't need a lot of space. You can put several of them on an acre. Um, we have more space than we need for them. So I don't remember the exact requirement. Mine have plenty of space. Uh, but I've, I've seen people have quite a few um, in a small space. So I, it's less than a cow would be here um, because you supplement with their hay and they get pellets. And they actually don't tear up the ground as much as like a hooked animal because they, they actually have pads they walk on. So there's a lot of interesting facts about alpaca. Yeah. <laughs> so for everybody listening, um, never you fret. We will be having somebody on to talk about donkeys, alpacas, llamas, all those things. But it's so far always waiting for all the topics that I want to <laughs> learn about. But um, apparently we do actually have plenty of room then. But I don't know if I'm going to tell my husband that right now <laughs> because he's already on the mini donkey train yeah. so that's his you know oh i really want that um we got to work on some perimeter fencing and and a lot of how we're going to design things here we've rearranged 800 times so we'll see how we how we like it another thing that you said that you're doing is the passion fruit uh-huh. and so that will grow where we are um, yeah, there is certain, um, kinds and they can definitely grow here and I'm very excited to try it and I'm just going to dive in. I've never even had it, but I'm definitely growing it, um, just because <laughs> it'll do good into my food forest and the flowers themselves are exactly. beautiful. Yeah, it, it's, uh, incredible, um, grow for your food forest if you can grow it. It's, I definitely recommend it. So why bees, other than the fact that they're definitely pollinating all of, all that stuff for you. Right. We did think of this symbiotic relationship with the pollination, but that really wasn't the reason. You know, as we started, we are we're literally corporate America people who um, have changed our lives in the last couple of years. So I I specifically um, went from a very crazy uh, career in life into this homesteading life, homeschooling my children. Um, huge turnaround for us and so we knew nothing you know I never grew a plant I never had an animal and it's, it's been a huge huge thing for us and so when we were looking at what do we do what do we grow what do we have um, bees just kept coming up and so I was encouraged to try a local bee club I didn't even know what bee club was I thought that was funny uh, but I did I found one I met the people and I learned a little bit more, of course, like everybody else. I watched a thousand YouTube videos. But the V Club eventually led me to a mentor, and the rest was history. We went for it. Well, that's so exciting. Um, I think my main thing, you know, I don't want to get stung, but I really can't see any negatives to having bees other than, oh, you could get stung. But then, you know, with proper attire... I figure surely I won't get stung that badly. <laughs> so I just, I'm hoping for the best, I guess. You know, I'm not allergic to them. I thought that I was, you know, my whole life, but it's actually the wasps. Right. So, um, I don't know. Do you get stung often? <laughs> actually, I get asked that all the time. And what you said is key. I, I wear protective gear, you know. There's a lot of videos out there with, you know, some people doing, you know, 
wearing nothing but flip flops and uh, bikinis go up and shorts, mm-hmm. and I'm not that girl. <laughs> I'm not her. Um, of course, we're only a couple years into our, our beekeeping journey, but you know, for me, having never seen a bee, there was no history of bees. I I needed that for confidence. So I started with a, a great bee suit. I still wear a great bee suit, and I don't get stung. Um, and so it made me feel confident. It makes me more comfortable and calm around them when I'm working them. Well, that is part of the next question that we are going to get into here in just a second. What equipment would you need to get just to get started? So a lot of times people will tell you to get a like a kit or you know I, you know I didn't know anything when I started so I took myself to a bee supply store and they saw me come in a mile away <laughs> and they will sell you everything <laughs> everything you don't need um, and so I try to tell people listen don't buy a kit do everything together uh, you need to be able to get in and work on you need a smoker basic smoker you don't need pellets and all these fancy things to put in the smoker. Pine needles work just fine. But there's there's a lot of other preference things that will come later. You know, you need a bee suit, in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of preferences there. Some people like them to get ventilated. Some don't. They're, they're more expensive. I think it's worth the money because I'm in Florida. Um, you do need a, a, a way to feed the bees. When you're brand new, a lot of people will sell you a front entrance feeder. That is it was a waste of money for me because as I was trained by a mentor, we, I realized, oh, I didn't need that. We don't do it that way. So you'll have people who have in-high feeders, top feeders, front-end feeders. All of those things will come into play as you learn your way because it, the old saying is talk to six beekeepers and learn 12 different ways to do something. Yeah. But you will need some way to feed them. But basically, just those basic things. You know, you need your, your hive bodies, you need your tool, you need a smoker, you need a protective outfit, those basic things. Which, and we will be putting in the description box of this episode, there's a couple of, um, you know, references and things like that of different sites you can check out. Those people who are around us here in the Ozarks, you might have heard of Dr. Leo even. And Definitely. he does some... Um, He's a layer type guy. Yes, and he will be, uh, will be linking some of his stuff there below. I was able to sit in on some of his talks, and I really, really enjoyed that. So we're not going to dive into necessarily the nitty-gritties of um, this is exactly the proportion that you feed these bees. This is exactly what a super right. is. We're not going to be going over those kind of things here. This is going to be just general um, bee information in, in these inf- in these two interviews because as you just said there are so many ways to do things and somebody in Maine keeping bees or Alaska is not going to even be close to somebody in South Texas or Florida or anything like that so we really need to just talk about the overview and then it'll be up to everybody listening to do your due diligence find a mentor find a group and really dive into to that because bees are so important um especially i mean some people they want to catch swarms some people want to order bees so there's just a lot of things to cover <clears throat> and so this is a this is a topic that is very regionally based um so how many hives did you start with every beekeeper should start with at least two you never start with one 
you always want to start with two. You can have more, but I'll tell you, I walked in to a beef store, like I said, when I was brand new. I said, I want six setups. <laughs> and they laughed at me. Um, and I didn't know why they were laughing. I was like, let's do it. I want to go in, you know. Um, <laughs> and I learned very quickly, you know, I wouldn't recommend starting with six either because they are more work than you think they are. Um, but two, you have to have two. You want to earn resources. You want to see the health of that colony. Even an inch apart, two colonies will behave uh, very differently. And so having to, as a newbie, will help you to really understand uh, the colony, how it behaves, its health, and then to borrow resources when you need them. And that would make more sense as you dive in. But two is kind of a magic starting number. Well, I would say um, that part to me was new when I was looking it up because, you know, people, they just act like they just started with seven outside, you know, and I feel like those people who are so confident doing that, um, definitely ask them, how long have you been keeping bees? Because there is a lot of new people who do think that they know everything, um, but beekeeping is quite delicate, (laughs) so it would be best to find someone who's been doing it for a long time. Our local feed store, actually, um, there's some beekeepers who've been doing it for 30, 40 years, and they're teaching free classes every spring. And so utilize those opportunities in your communities. Um, now, we know you're in Florida, but so we don't know what part. So what climate are your bees in? So I'm in central Florida, which if you're a gardener, it's 9A, right, zone 9A. And I think, you know, you alluded to Florida earlier. I think I'm the best part of Florida, right? I am a native Floridian, so I am biased. I, I do agree. There are some challenges in Florida, right? South Florida is very hot, um, and that gets much more subtropical. And you mentioned North Florida actually is almost just like Georgia, right? So, yeah. And it's gotten pretty cold here this year. I mean, more cold than I can remember, and I've been here my entire life. Um, we've had some truly hard freezes. Um, but I think in 9A, we have the best of all the worlds. We're warm. I don't have to overwinter my bees. Whereas the other person you're talking to, certainly that's not the case. Yeah, <laughs> so she's... My situation is great for that. Yeah, and she's local-ish to me, and we're 6B, and we have been getting beat up this winter. <laughs> so definitely, and... You said Central Florida, and literally the only thing I could think of was, like, Universal, Disney. Yes. Well, my friend, you know, we went to Universal as a family uh, vacation years ago with my grandma and everything. You know, we loved it. It was, we came from, down from Nebraska, and so, you know, it was freezing when we left. We had winter coats on everything. We get down there, instantly open the car doors, we're fogged up, our glasses. And it was so humid, and it was like 75, 80 degrees, and we went for Christmas. And so it was a week after Christmas, so we were so excited. Well, then my friend, this year, she took her family to Disney, and they were so upset. They were in coats. It was like 30 degrees, (laughs) and I was just like, that is just mind-blowing to me, because I just associate Florida with being warm. We were at Cocoa Beach. We were, we were out there living on the lamb. And I was so I was so excited. I That was an amazing trip. And we had a wonderful breakfast restaurant that started with some K that was over there. And the orange juice down there was phenomenal. It was the best orange juice I've ever had in my life. So, yeah. And my husband wanted to be in Florida. He wanted to homestead in Florida. Um, 
And, I mean, he was not going down without a fight on Florida. The hurricanes were hard pass for me. Um, but also the restrictions. You have some crazy poultry restrictions um, and stuff. So I was like, no. So everybody that's been part of this from Florida, he's like, oh, another homestead in Florida. Wish it was me. <laughs> After I told him that people don't homestead in Florida, that's what I used to say. But I've been proven wrong with this entire podcast. So, I know. Well, and we have to laugh because I had the audacity to want to live in my states were Montana, Maine, and Alaska. And yet, where we are now, we got some snow this year, like actually accumulation. And I just, I cried about it the whole time. Complained, moaned. And my friend was like, you wanted to go to Maine? <laughs> I'm like, I know, let's all laugh together. <laughs> so, yeah. You're talking to a native Floridian who's never seen snow. And so I've never experienced it, but I know I don't You're want to You're blessed. Be in it because I have no idea what it is. I've, I've gotten to be around ice and a little bit of sleep because we just missed it. Um, but we've tried to go on many vacations and just not gotten lucky and missed it. But... You know, as far as, like, hurricanes and the bad stuff, we're, we're inland enough that, yeah, you get storms, but not not really ever those, you know, it's big devastation. So, I'm with your husband. I think Florida's where it's at. I'm biased. But, yes, let's homestead in Florida, girls. I know. Well, now he's going to be, he's, you know, he's working right now we're recording this, and he's going to be listening, and he's going to be like, all right, we need to list it. <laughs> so he's gonna be on the first train down there um we've got just a lot of people on our facebook and stuff from florida too and they just have beautiful pictures they're still gardening like all kinds yeah. of things you know oh, man and they don't have to deal with uh you know they can grow all the time like in southern california but they actually get rain <laughs> so right. you know but yeah, constantly. Yeah. so do you get um well do you sell honey and yeah. have you gotten, I know you've only had them for a couple of years, like, do you get to harvest honey immediately, or? Good question. So, yes, we do sell honey, and I will say it is kind of a common knowledge, common saying, at least around here, you don't get honey your first year. And everyone will tell you, hey, you really need to just work on the health of your colonies, growing your colonies, making sure they're nice and solid, feed them back their own honey um, your first year. Don't don't try to take anything. Uh, but, you know, here's the power of having an awesome mentor. Because I think had I been out there just on my own, I would have taken that advice. My bees just were doing phenomenally well. I think, again, it's because of Florida. I think I had tons of stuff blooming, and that's year-round. Like, I feel very blessed because my bees are still bringing in pollen all winter and we have plenty of water water sources a really big deal here in florida and so they've done super well and our first year we pulled off 150 pounds of honey Whoa. so the answer typically no <laughs> but we had a great first year um, and so we did and so it's just really dependent on the health of your colonies and truly having someone who can guide you on whether it's safe or not all right so florida seven missouri too. That's that's where we are currently. I'm gonna have a significant yeah. battle with you know him trying to uproot. He's gonna be packing a bag. Um, <laughs> and so what equipment is needed 
for honey because I know I definitely know you need an extractor. That's that's about that's all I knew. Extractor Wait, jar. So, <laughs> so here's the deal, like just like everything else, you can extract different ways. And in fact, I I made a TikTok once about um, a a picture I saw on Facebook, and it was someone had crushed their honey, and then they had they were straining it over a paint bucket in a paint strainer with clothes hangers. And I I just had to no shade to that person. Like, listen, clearly no one's helping you. This is just you're seeing things on the internet and you're going with it. There are different ways to do it. I guess if I had to, I had no other way. Yes. You can do a simple method called crush and strain. You can just crush that comb and you can strain it. A lot of people use paint strainers, um, something fine, mesh. That is not the way I like to do that. Um, I want to preserve as much of the wax, their comb, as possible so they have less work to start back into putting more honey into it. They don't have to rebuild comb. Um, and so, yes, the way you described, you need to have a, a an uncapping knife. Um, again, they will sell you lots of versions of this. Some of them are heated, some are not. I found that a serrated bread knife is my favorite uncapping knife. <laughs> Simple. And once you uncap, then you would put those frames into an extractor. There are manual ones that you can just spin there are electric ones we have used an electric and it uses centrifugal force and the honey springs out of those frames once they're uncapped and then it falls down the side of the inside of the extractor and then you put a a sieve a double sieve underneath the spout which is called the honey gate and then that flows into what we use as a five gallon food grade bucket and then you bottle it from there pretty simple process but yes, we do use an extractor. Is it mandatory if you only had one or two hives? No, you could crush and strain, but it's going to be a much messier process. We'll say I'm going to ask the elephant in the room: Is cleanup from that extractor a disaster? Because that just sounds like a sticky disaster. You know what? If you don't do it right, it is a nightmare. But I, again, I can't tell you guys how important it is. <laughs> I have seen people doing crazy things on the internet because they're trying to figure out themselves. They have messes. Okay. My mentor was like, we're not going to have a mess. We're, I'm going to do it with you. The first time especially. And so he just took me under his wing and showed me the way. And it was, I could not believe how clean the process was. Because literally you have a giant bin that you're uncapping in. So there's no mess. Okay. We don't even put anything down on the ground around this. It's so clean. And then, once you go from what is in that bin, now you have your frame uncapped. You just, that the extractor's ready to go right beside you. You literally just, it's dripping, you, okay, it's dripping up into the extract, extractor. And then you load that up, you run it, and then it's contained all into that, that system of running into the sieve into your five-gallon bucket. Close the honey gate. So I, I have been super blessed to have someone have shown me a very clean way. And we just do it on a, a, a patio back porch that has um, it just it's very clean. We just uh, wash off when we're done and we're, we're good. Well, that sounds easy enough. I would love to have my own honey because I like to use it in place of sugar and um, it's healthy for you. 
and yeah. I always like to have honey tea. So Absolutely. that would be nice. So we, but right now, you know, honey's very expensive, um, and so I use honey a lot more sparingly than say if I had bees outside and I could just keep it all. Um, so on, what is your feeding regimen slash garden setup to ensure that they have enough pollen and things to eat? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. A lot of um, people will say, oh, they're so proud. You know, they're like, oh, I, I planted a pollinator garden. You know, oh, wow, I have this this patch of wildflowers on my land. And oh, it's, it's kind of silly because bees actually forage for miles. And unless you have miles of land, um, if you're if you're the guy that owns the, the next five miles, then yeah, what you plan on that five miles is important. But if you're on a couple acres, your bees are going to go much farther. They're going to go three miles, up to five, sometimes I've even heard six miles um, to forage. So they're getting into everything, not just your land, around them. And further, um, so there's no robbing and such like that. That's I don't know if that's scientific or not, if they don't eat close to home, but I do know they go far. Um, so we have not focused on pollinator gardens or anything like that. As you know, we are a passion fruit farm, so we do have passion fruit uh, vines that are growing, and they will help pollinate. But ultimately, that's not all they're going to uh, be harvesting from, right? So there's that. There is a feeding that needs to take place with bees. Some people don't know that. You don't feed your bees at times. Again, being in Florida, I feel like this is a much smaller issue than someone who is overwintering and feeding bees in in the snow, so to speak. So it depends on what's blooming around you. Most of the time here in Florida, you're doing a one-to-one sugar-to-water parts ratio, right? So you're you're just, it's mostly something we do in the spring. You're just stimulating those bees to make more bees. You want them to be, hey, nectar flow, things are looking good, it's spring, we're excited, you want them to feel that. I would tell you a lot of places up north are doing like two to one thicker syrups, sustaining them through the winter. I have not had to worry about that. So very lucky, knock on wood, we are in a place here in central Florida that they have been bringing in pollen year round. We've never gotten to the place where they were in a dearth. A lot of times in Florida they talk about dearth in the summer where everything's just too hot it's gone nothing's blooming we did not experience that last year and so if they were in that place then i would throw the feeders on i'd do one-to-one um and and they'd be fed otherwise we've had a really great run without having to need it well that's super interesting especially um we had minor technical difficulty but uh, and we had some sound issue there, but you were saying that they could go up to five miles, you know, so they're going to be foraging everywhere, and um, so that's why you don't do the pollinator gardens. I will say that for me, fortunately, um, <clears throat> for me, that's this is about as far as they're going to get. They keep going out, they're going to starve to death. Um, I mean, and, you know, they're, the, the trees are so thick, all in two, three directions <clears throat> that they would be, I mean, they would basically have to go to town um, to, you know, get that. Now, 
it's we've noticed that we have a really 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 heavy bee presence here already and um, you know dr leo does talk about catching the swarms and stuff like that so you know and for us it's not unrealistic because <laughs> there's like so many but that being said um you know if people were in town or they had close neighbors or things like that and they're spraying or stuff like that you've got to watch that now my aunt does bees and she had to you know she went in she had to register and stuff and everybody around her and she's got notices for the bees and they couldn't spray so she was able to go and get that um so if you're in you know she's in kansas and stuff so if you're in a situation like that especially in those heavy ag crop states you're probably going to need to be touching base on that or they can go where somebody's using all kinds of stuff roundup anything so definitely um check into those things say the um it's interesting to see how different things are um you're in the south and it's people that are in the south you they probably won't need to overwinter either you know deep south you're at southern alabama um you know things like that and so it'll be very it's very interesting how i was able to find a couple people somebody that was doing bees in the south and somebody that was doing bees here where it does get cold and actually we do have someone else that is from the way north and they are doing bees and their episode is a little bit different but they will be talking about how they manage their bees when it is super super cold as they are in alaska so that is very interesting and fun fact that i learned about this whole thing is i did not know that people had like commercial bee operations and they like transport their bees all over the place to like different giant farms to do that i did not know that so i thought that was pretty interesting yeah a lot of these big commercial outfits they will actually send them to california they will uh, do a lot of um almond uh pollinating and there's other crops as well and then a lot of those end up coming back over to the east coast and being sold as colonies to new beekeepers in the next you know season it does happen yeah i had no idea so that was like oh we'll throw that fun fact in there (laughs) um do you have any um obviously you're a farm and you sell honey and things so do you have any social media or a website or a specific business that people can follow yeah we sure do thanks for asking so we are um our website is thepassionfarm.com and our TikTok is at our whole life journey, and we are on Facebook. Not as active on there, but uh, we are the Passion Farm of Florida is the name of our farm, um, and so you can find us either the website thepassionfarm.com or TikTok or Facebook. Don't really have the Instagram up and running, but uh, one day maybe. That's primarily where you can find us. You can also email us if you have questions at passionfarmofflorida at gmail dot com. Well. Um... I know when you know, you start talking about social media and stuff, it's hard to keep up with everything. I will say, yeah. In- Instagram is one of those. It's like TikTok. It's very fast moving. You know, mm-hmm. I think I'm like that quote unquote old generation, and I'm like <laughs> so nestled into Facebook. Like that is my comfort <laughs> <Yeah>. zone. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. um, <clears throat> so I appreciate you um, 
being here with me today through the technical difficulties. I'm trying out a new program, and of course, we're getting some uh, nasty weather, so it's been hit or miss. So, anybody listening to this, if you have any type of audio changes or any audio filler, that would be why. And so I sincerely apologize about that. We will be working out the kinks of that. I thought I had a whole good thing going here. Did not take into account Mother Nature, who has been beating me up repeatedly. Um, On that, what are the three things that you hope people will take away from this above all else? And I'm going to go ahead and say number one is probably get a mentor, get a mentor, get a mentor. (laughs) You got it. I would say that is number one. You need help. And I'm going to say... Don't go, don't go YouTubing it. You know, I think that was something I made the mistake of doing. I spent a lot of hours watching YouTube videos, and as a newbie, I didn't realize that the YouTuber in Maine was very different from the beekeeper in Central Florida. And and so I was acquiring a lot of information that ended up being completely contradictory to what I needed to do <laughs> when I got started. So. Yes, educate yourself, but find a local bee club and find that mentor. It will make a huge difference. So the um, on on the resources that are rec- recommended, um, a lot of you know there's like we mentioned Dr. Leo or things yeah. like that, and they've got the books. But just like I was saying about why these are not so all inclusive is because you know it's not like cattle where this is what right. cattle eat. You know, it's not that way. So this that would be definitely it. Do you have a couple of others that are more, like, universal takeaways? Yeah, I think that a lot of people have the thought process that bees are a set it and forget it. Like, if you're old enough to know the old Ronco rotisserie. Yeah. <laughs> set it and forget it. Um, you know, I guess bees that used to be, like, a just an old thought but it's not like that you know you do have to work the bees and they do they do take work and um i think that it's just important to know what you're getting into you know that's why they laughed at me when i wanted to start with six hives uh somebody who's doing all these other things on a homestead my children homeschool they knew that would be a lot for me i i didn't think it would be i thought well, i just put them in the box so i learned um you know really do take your time you can grow quickly but it's not set it and forget it. You need to be actively involved with those guys, those girls, I should say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think lastly is just it's more of a, a hope and a wish that more women would get involved in beekeeping. I, you probably have a good amount of women in the audience. I think beekeeping, as far as I've seen here in my state, it's, it's been like a, a, a good old boys club, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of men who've done this, and still to this day, you know, bee club is mostly older men, um, not even young guys. And so as I started the journey, I realized it's it's harder for a woman to do um, the boxes, and no one prepared me as someone who's five foot one. How difficult Langstroth hives are going to be. I have a great interest in what Dr. Leo's done in the Ozark his land hives that are horizontal for someone like me who's so short um, because they, you know, a, a top box of honey can be 80 to 100 pounds. And when you're standing on a ladder, I tell you ladies, it's not easy, but I think that there's a lot of benefit for women to really get into beekeeping and also teach their children. 
I really, my hope is that beekeeping can become multi-generational again and something that we don't leave off as we're starting our homesteads and our farms and we see the real value. It's, it's just an incredible journey. I agree. And um, fortunately for me, I'm in the Ozarks. <laughs> Dr. Mm-hmm. Leo is like probably half an hour from me. Uh, and um, so I was able to look into, you know, take his class and stuff. And I, I do know that when we go into, you know, actually beekeeping, I am very set on his horizontal hives. Uh, my husband and I, once we sat in there, we were totally inspired, and we've we've pretty much, like, that is what we will do, and in our area, you know, he, you know, he said, and, and uh, that's also the other lady, she's also in the area, and catching swarms here is um, not unrealistic to do, because we do have a, a decent population, so awesome. I am, I am going to be pretty excited about that, and um, so I'm, I'm excited about bees, I thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your patience. (laughs) And thank you for sharing um, all of your knowledge. I will definitely be checking out all of your your things. And um, last question, what do you do with the passion fruit? Like, are you just, like, harvesting? I know, it's totally off topic, but are you, like, harvesting that? And then what do you do with it? So passion fruit is incredible fruit you can eat all by itself. So we primarily sell, want to sell to um, direct-to-consumers. Uh, we maybe eventually will sell to stores and such, but we really want to keep it selling directly to consumers. You can eat that by itself. You can make drinks, fruit, shoes, dessert. It's really endless. If you've never had a passion fruit there, incredible, a little tangy, a little sweet, um, very unique and different. Uh, if you haven't had one, you have to get some this harvest. Um, but also the leaves are incredible for medicinal teas. And so I do hand pick and batch, uh, herbal teas out of our passion, uh, fine leaves as well. That's super exciting. Well, if you, if you start shipping boxes of passion fruit, you let me know. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And on that note, let's learn, let's grow, let's go.